So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. Today, we get to talk about apartments, multifamily, investing, how to get started, how to build an empire, and I could not be more excited because I have one of the people that I think is the foremost expert because she knows I mean, I was just overwhelmed when I sat down and talked with her about her in-depth knowledge of the industry, but most of the people that you talk about to me, they know parts of it. They understand syndication, they understand financing, they understand operating. She knows every aspect of this business and in detail. She is my resource when I'm looking to, in this space, when I'm looking to invest, she is the person that I call and I'm so excited to have her on. Ashley Wilson, let's bring her on. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. So, okay, first of all, I love, once again, multifamily. This is an area that, you know, I've dabbled in. I've never gotten huge on. So, because I've not that I haven't wanted to, I've wanted to. It's just not my expertise. And I know me and you have talked about this space at length and you've you've helped me gain more comfort in it. Thank you for coming on and really helping me with my audience here and explaining how you got started, how you got the funds, everything else to do what you've done in multifamily. And you started small though, right? I mean you started out in just flipping or housing or renting or Actually, I started investing in real estate about 10 years ago. I started with a single property. It was a short-term rental. I was doing Airbnb type rentals and then it went into long-term rentals. And then I eventually went into flipping with my father. I partnered with my father five years ago. Specifically, we focused on higher end houses. Um, That is just because of where we saw our business model being the most successful. We had a higher renovation cost. My dad's expertise with older homes led us to full gut rehabs of early 1900s homes, and those houses tended to be higher end. So we just found our niche, which also coincided to be a less competitive space. So it it launched our business pretty quickly, and we've been in business for five years. With multifamily, I always knew I wanted to go over to switch over to multifamily, but I was living in Europe about two and a half years ago. I lived in Europe for four years and we wanted, my husband and I wanted to wait until we came back over to the U.S. to get into multifamily. So while we were in Europe, we spent a lot of time educating ourselves on multifamily. We read books, we listened to podcasts, we read forums. We really wanted to immerse ourselves in, in as much knowledge as possible. So we had a base level in which to launch for our actual action we took when we when we got back home. With our first deal, we invested passively. So we found an operator that we felt confident um, that they were going to operate the property correctly. We liked the market demographics and we liked the actual deal. So that's something I would recommend to others who are interested in multifamily. It's a good place to get your feet wet is by passively investing with another opportunity. And the three things you want to look for on any deal is the market, the actual property, and the team. 
In terms of the order of importance, I personally believe the team is the most important because you can have a good market and a good property, but if you don't have a good team, the project could fail. It also could not reach its full potential. In other words, in my opinion, it's still failing. So that to me is most important. You really should dive deep in and looking at the team. After we got our feet wet doing that, we moved over and we actually partnered with another group on our first property. And then since then, we partnered with another group on our second property. So currently, we have three properties totaling 450 doors. We're actively looking for more properties, but that's our current current workload we have now. And now, although you have the apartments, you're still, remind me, you're still also have your high-end flipping business with uh, your father, too, that you're doing. And do you you mentioned that you got started. I want to bring this kind of back to this. You mentioned you got started in real estate 10 years ago. When you got started, what were you doing before you teamed up with your dad to do the flipping, before you and your husband got into the apartments? What did you get started in? I actually worked in pharmaceuticals. I worked in global clinical R&D, and I traveled all over the world for the job. It was incredible. So what I would do is I would lead trials before they would go to regulatory bodies for approval. So FDA in the U.S., EMA in Europe, and and different regulatory bodies depending on the specific region. It's amazing to me how many skills that I learned in that position that were transferable to to what I do today, to real estate. One of the most important skills that I learned is how to manage from afar. My very first job out of college, all the way through the time of retiring from that industry, is my ability to manage from afar. The first job I had, I was working across the U.S., but I was located outside of Philadelphia. To my last job, I had staff all over the world And I was still managing in Pennsylvania. So it really taught me a lot of skills on how to be comfortable with delegating, how to outsource tasks, how to train people when you're not sitting next to them, how to streamline processes. All of those things are transferable. And I never thought it when I was actually in the moment. But when you look back, you realize, oh, I was doing that 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, that's so interesting. And I, and I love that because I think a lot of people, especially looking to get into real estate, they're like, it's a hurdle for me because I, I don't know real estate, which, you know, for you, and I was the same way, right? I was in insurance. I was not in real estate, but it was amazing to me how much of that was transferable into real estate. And I think everyone, even if you're not in that industry, you can find things. And, and two, lots of times, I think that gives you an edge because Correct. it allows you skills like you just mentioned that the people that are only doing that, they may not have. And it was that way for us. So I absolutely love that. And when you were in Europe, were you still, did you like put real estate on pause or how'd that work? No, I didn't. We actually, <laughs> we actually expanded our company while I was in Europe. So we oh. took a different approach. I had a lot of time while I was over in Europe and we used technology to our advantage. So for example, we would use FaceTime to walk through properties so I could still see the properties. I did all of the design, but I was for, I was living in Europe. And a lot of people, 
you know, they're very hesitant to do design, but I mean, if I can do it from Europe, anyone can do it. So I was buying materials, scheduling contractors, doing our accounting, doing our marketing, anything that I didn't physically need to be on site. So for example, my dad was, I mean, even still, you can have a system where you have your contractors check in and they send you pictures of the work they've completed and you can manage schedules. You really do not need to physically be at the property, especially when you build a rapport of good contractors and a good team. And no matter what business you're in, your success only is determined by the strength of your team. So I really think that if you can, you know, button up like little gaps in the process, you're only strengthening your overall organization. I think me living in Europe was an advantage instead of a disadvantage because it forced us to streamline processes. It forced us to build good teams. It forced us to identify, you know, where our gaps were and how we could work better. And most importantly, it forced us to have good communication. Yeah. No, that actually makes sense. I, I, I could see how that would in many ways strengthen some of those things because there's no room for error. Correct. Like you have to understand, like you need that information transmitted to you in order to make the correct decisions in order to get the picture of how the scope of the project is going to work, how it's going to look. I mean, it, you need to know that project so in depth because you're not there. No, that's, that's so interesting. And it explain to me how you got over that. Or, I mean, were you nervous about that? Because for me, I think I'd be like, I don't know if I can do this. Well, I was fortunate to have my father as a business partner on this business. So I was, honestly, I wasn't nervous about it because, it, you know, working with your father and working with someone, family or close, someone you know really well, I never once have questioned whether my dad is trustworthy or whether he's driven or whether our vision is aligned. I always knew those three components were rock solid. So that gave me an edge that maybe someone else may not have had. I also think too, that this situation lent very well for me to transfer into multifamily as all of my properties are not located in Pennsylvania. They're located outside of Pennsylvania. So this actually gave me the foundation to figure out how do you operate something, especially a value add property. So in case any of your listeners don't know what a value add is, it's basically taking an apartment building that's underperforming for whatever the reason may be and getting it performing, whether it's deferred maintenance, capital expenditures you need to plug into the property for other things like adding a pool or if it's management issues. So the foundation that this flipping business allowed me to have was also transferable to multifamily. Okay. You hit on two important topics here. I want to ask, I want to talk about and ask you about here. First of all, just so we can remind here, you talked about partners, which we'll get to in a minute. Then you also just talked about outside or uh, other locations and the importance of that. And and I really want to hit on this because I hear this a lot and I think it's very important. I was talking to somebody and we were asking about the specific market where I live. And they're like, oh, so are you buying or building any more more around the area? And we're like, oh, no, the market's blown out. You know, it's totally overbuilt. So we're not so we're not buying or building here. And they're like, oh, so you just, you know, so what are you doing? Just hanging out or shutting down? I'm like, oh, no, we're in (laughs) other markets. And they're like and, and that was confusing to them. And they're like, well, but isn't that dangerous? And I'm like, no, it's way more dangerous to be in a bad market 
than it is to be in a good in in another market that's a little farther away. And so many people do this, and I see this glaringly, and I think this is how markets get overbuilt, is that they would rather take the risk of being in a bad market, but be having it within a thirty minute drive, than being in a market that you know you're going to be successful, but maybe an hour flight away, and like that hurdle. I think would allow so many more people to be more successful. And I look at it and to me, and you tell me your thoughts, but to me, I look at it as it's not me that makes the property successful. Like to some degree, yes, it is. I have to operate it, all that kind of stuff. But I cannot, there's nothing that I can do to fight against an oversupplied market. I cannot counteract certain economic trends, right? I just, there's nothing I can do with that. Now, I know that if I'm in good economic trends, even if I'm bad, it'll most likely be successful. So I put myself in there and then I try to be the best I can and see the success from it. But that is very important to me. And that's something you've done. And I, and I love that you've done that. And I mean, was that nervous for you to go outside your market at first when you guys were first looking around or? It wasn't ever a hurdle for me. I don't know if it's because I've just lived a lot of different places. So I've seen different market trends and how the economy changes from market to market. My personal belief is if you believe in the idea of leverage, which I don't, I don't think most people don't believe in it. If you believe in the idea of leverage, you agree that you can leverage the capital by using debt financing or seller financing or all these different methods. So creative financing methods to leverage on the capital side. And that's one of the number one pros in multifamily is this idea of leverage to get a greater return in the long run. So if you can understand that concept and you get that concept on the capital side, to me, you should also understand it on the market side, meaning that you can leverage markets. You can leverage the fact that markets are different markets are in different market cycles. And if you are very in tune to those market cycles, you can be very successful. I just think that you have to understand the idea of leverage and not understand it in a silo. It is across the board on, uh, you know, the actual property and the market it's in your team, you can leverage team and resources and capital. And at the end of the day, all businesses boil down to three things, your inventory, your capital, and your team. And if you can leverage all three and get that trifecta, you'll be unstoppable. I love that for all of you listening that alone, we could just end the podcast here. 15 minutes. We're, we're good. Cause that was so good. Um, it, it's, I, I talk about this all the time. This idea leverage does not consist to your debt. When I use leverage, you need to leverage your contacts, your team, those around you. You need to le- leverage market cycles. I mean, you're leveraging it today just by living in America, right? You need to leverage all those things around you. And that's what business is because in, people think uh, maybe leverage, like leveraging others, it's it, not in a bad way. It's good in a good way, right? Success doesn't happen on an island. You can't do it by yourself. And the moment you start thinking that it's pride, you're going to die and get killed. You need to leverage the assets that you have. And those that do that effectively like you see tremendous success because they realize I need help. I need others. It's not all dependent on me. And they look for those opportunities and those options. They gather those around. They leverage the opportunity that they are given. And those are the people that I believe are successful no matter what. Like you could lose it all. And I know that next year you'd be right back at it. You'd be hitting hard and you would be successful because you understand how to use what is given to you. 
I mean, that is just so fundamental in in entrepreneurship. It is so fundamental in investing and being successful, not just economically, but in your personal life. And I just really see that within you. And I think that's something that people need to understand and they need to do a better job of. So thank you for that. That was just tremendous feedback. Now, the other thing you said that we got to hit on too, because I also, I loved this. This was so key. You talked about your partner and this is something too, once again, I fundamentally believe in so much. With me, I get up, I work to achieve a goal. My partner is also my father. And one of the reasons that I have my father as a partner, and I will always have my father as a partner, is exactly what you just stated there. I am not concerned with his intentions. I know he's not going to screw me because mm-hmm. our intentions are the same. We're trying to build a better life for our family, right? So our wants and desires, I'm not, I know him. He is the hardest worker in the world, right? And so I know that he's not going to shaft me. And I know, too, that he's always going to be putting 100% and that we're always on the same page. And so whether that's, you may not have that in your family, but you need to, when looking for a partner, that idea that you can overcome those, I think that you can have a great business, but if you have a bad partnership, it's going to end soon. And so, you know, I just think that's so key. Dealing with that though, you have lots of different partners. Has that ever not worked out for you? Yes. I had a partnership that, has not worked out. It's been very, very challenging. And the advice I would give, because there's always a lesson learned, is it was a group of partners and there's one partner that I know very well. And I made a decision off of my relationship with one of the partners without realizing the dynamics between the entire partnership group. The problem that I had is not understanding how the person that I had a close connection with operates with these other people. Everyone can be dominant in some situations and submissive in others. And if you have a relationship with someone who has a dominant personality and you only see them in that light, and then all of a sudden they're in more of a submissive type context, you know, that's how they act and operate with another group of people. And you partner with that when your only exposure previously was with that dominant personality and you make underlying assumptions that they're the head of the group, then that was my downfall. I think that I need to do a better job uh, and I have since then, I will, I trust me, I learned my lesson that you really need to understand not only who someone is, but how they operate with other people. So when you're looking at a partnership group and there's more than just one person, you need to understand how they all operate together because it's very easy in a partnership like you and your dad and me and my dad to understand how we work in every situation you take lead on this and I'm going to just consult with you or you take lead and I'm just going to inform you. You know, that's, that's kind of two different situations. Whereas if you have a group of people and you think one person's responsible for one thing and another person's responsible for another thing, but personalities come into play and really someone's trumping someone when they really shouldn't, you know, kind of like the e-myth type where they haven't had it all all figured out and everyone's roles are very crystal clear, 
when you see that go through and you're a part of it, it can be very challenging. There's something that I learned when I was in pharma. There was a lot of things I learned and talking about it being applicable to real estate. It's applicable to life. I think when someone's expectations don't meet reality, there's a discordance and that discordance breeds animosity. So I personally believe that if I have a certain expectation and those expectations aren't met, internally, I struggle with that. So that is the situation that I have found myself in with one partnership group. But since then, you know, you still can learn. It's not the end of the world. There are a lot of challenges you face in life and you have two paths you can choose. Either you just break down over that challenge and you throw yourself a pity party or you say to yourself, this is an opportunity and I can do better. And what can I do better? When you're saying to yourself, if this situation came up again, I'd fall into the same situation, then you're not really looking for solutions. Mm -hmm. You need to look for solutions. You need to continue to look how you move the needle, both as a business and personally, because how you, you know, if you only focus on moving the needle for your business and acquiring more properties and building your wealth, but you're not building as a person, you're going to reach your ceiling and you're going to wonder why your businesses aren't growing. So you really need to make sure you're building both and really understand how partnerships work so you can you can grow as a person too. You can become a better partner as well and provide the support that that partnership group needs as well as be able to vet partnerships better. You know, I think I just realized something. In another dimension, you or me, just on the East Coast in a different asset class. <laughs> I, I The exact same thing. I had a partnership, once again, that went horribly wrong. And uh, everything that you're talking about, you know, I, I had to learn the hard way. It was absolutely miserable. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. And it was one of those things where I could have come out of it, thrown a pity party and been like, the thing is, I just don't partner with other people because everybody's trying to screw me. I yes. could have taken that attitude. Instead, I looked at it and said, listen, I failed to recognize certain things. Correct. I failed to do the right things to do. I need to change those things. And two, I also know that these are the types of people that I either I can't work with, I don't want to work with, all that, and then move on. That is just so important for people to understand and that your partners make you or break you. And I don't find that there's middle ground because if there's middle ground, eventually, like eventually it just turns, like you were saying, into animosity. And then you start getting upset and then it ends up blowing up in your face, you know, one way or another. So that is just so key. Now, walk me through your first multifamily deal. How, you know, you wanted to be in the space. I love, I love your advice and taking it back here. I know we kind of went back. We're going back forward here again real quick. You, you went and invested passively with people Correct. to learn. Then you joint ventured. Correct. Is that correct? And then you went out on your own. So what gave you the confidence to go out on your own? And how did you know, which I think is the biggest problem for people, they don't know if it's a good deal or not because they don't know what they don't know. So I love that you got the background. Yes. So moving forward. But how did you feel the confidence? And how? tell me about this first deal. The first, so I'm assuming you're talking about the first deal with my partnership group. Yes. With my partnership group though, yes. right? Yes. Okay. So, so as I said, you know, we had 
a base level of knowledge through education. We, we read a, a lot. We listened to podcasts and read forums um, to give us a base level of knowledge. But so it, it's exactly what you said. You don't know what you don't know. And until you're in the thick of it, you really don't know a lot of things. I have never learned more in my life on any single topic than my first year in multifamily. I probably combined on other topics. It doesn't compare to how much I learned in multifamily in my first year. It's just, there's so much to learn in multifamily. It can seem overwhelming, but you just take one day at a time and you just try to keep learning one new thing every single day. With my first partnership, a lot of people like to partner by raising capital. That's a great way to partner. Unfortunately, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at raising capital. That's That doesn't excite me going out and talking to people about investing opportunities. It excites me to talk about real estate. So what I'm really good at is operating properties and running operations, asset management specifically, and construction management. Those are my bread and butter, so to speak. So when I partnered with this group, initially it was, I wanted to be part of the general partnership. And I said to them, you know, I would like to invest in this deal. We vetted the team, we vetted the market and we vetted the property and we liked all of the components. And we said, I want to be part of, you know, I said, I wanted to be part of this and I would do anything that they needed me to do any help they needed. I would be there, but you know, I wanted a portion of the GP. Fortunately, they agreed. And in the process, what they learned is that I was really good at asset and construction management. So they actually asked me to come on as a construction manager for the project because I knew more than they knew on the construction side of things. I started running construction management and that slowly evolved into, actually quickly within the first three weeks of ownership of the property, it quickly evolved into me running asset management. So even though I had never managed a multifamily property previously, I picked it up really quickly and I just wanted to learn everything and it worked for them because they were looking, their focus was on building their empire and acquiring more properties. So they loved the fact that they could just kind of hand it over to me. So it was a great opportunity for me because I really learned how to operate a property. I learned the day-to-day operations. I learned everything I could about property management, everything I could about doing a value-add property. So that was my first experience in the trenches, so to speak. And just to be very clear, I never have stopped educating myself. So I, just because I know what I'm doing now, I don't stop listening to podcasts. I don't stop reading forums. I don't stop reading books. I actually do it tenfold now. I am very specific on what I'm looking for, but once in a while, you know, I still listen as long as the time allows, I still listen to like newbie multifamily investors because they have, you know, the fresh eyes that they're looking at something from a different perspective than someone who's in the trenches. So that gives you a great counter to what you're doing. And I also, I parallel multifamily. Originally, I wanted to be a neuropsychologist. So I wanted to study concussion syndromes and professional athletes. That was what I originally was going to do. And physicians, they cannot know all of the diseases. It's just too much. It's a a wealth of knowledge. So there's actually a study that was done that the accuracy of diagnosis is tied very closely to how frequent a physician reads 
rare disease articles because it's at the tip of their tongue. It's something recent and fresh in their memory that they can diagnose more accurately. So that to me is very comparable to the multifamily space. I know we're not, you know, saving lives like a physician is directly, but the learning process to me is the exact same. So there's just so much to learn in multifamily and there's so many moving parts in multifamily that you know, you have to constantly keep educating yourself and keep things fresh on your mind because you kind of use or lose it, so to speak. It's like a muscle. Yeah. So for me, that was an incredible opportunity. And then I continue to talk about what I do and what I love. And I've gotten a reputation for being really good at managing these properties now. So people come to me and I mean, I, since building this reputation out through, you know, just word of mouth. I, I haven't done any marketing on it. I've been approached about 50 times to partner with other people. And I do exactly what I do as if I was going to passively invest. I study the team. I vet the team. I vet the property and I vet the market. And when I look at the actual deal, I'm looking at all the underwriting. I'm looking at the business plan because at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, it, that's because of me, because I failed to execute it. So I will only work on something that I fully believe. And I also invest as well. So if I'm going to invest in something, I want to believe in it too. So of those 50 opportunities that I've been approached about, I've actually only moved forward with one. So if that kind of tells you a little bit how aggressively people are underwriting and how much you really need to know the properties and the teams and the market, I'm not trying to discourage someone. I'm just trying to say that those three components you really need to look at carefully. This is not you know, just a willy-nilly investment. This is a serious investment. It's a lot of capital tied up for potentially a long period of time. You really need to know what you're doing. And this is so interesting, the learning process that people get in, which I, I want to talk to you about this because I'm just like you. I devour information. And the farther I went along in everything, my career, it, it seems like the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. And that caused me to need to know more. So I would devour yeah. more information, which just is a, you know, circular problem. I just, wow, I don't know anything, but you're right. I focused in, I think more on, I, cause I now need to know something. And so I'll dive into the subject based information, but I still go back and listen to Like you were saying, the podcast, the guys just starting out and cause you love hearing it. You love seeing what they're seeing and fresh eyes onto you. But I think a lot of people have the problem where they're learning everything that they can, but they're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. How do you overcome that and how did you overcome that is you know you're over in europe you're studying everything you can about multifamily. how did you overcome though analysis paralysis how did you overcome because i think too lots of times the information can be so overwhelming and you're getting different viewpoints and because you don't have the experience in it you can't compartmentalize and place the things where they should be to understand them better how did you get over that and how do you continually get over that I think I'm pretty fortunate in the sense that I never have analysis paralysis. In fact, if anything, I have the opposite. I'm Once I feel like I know something, I, I'm ready to go. In fact, I may even be a little ready to go before I'm actually ready to go, so to speak. So I think how you get over it is 
it's really important within the multifamily space specifically that you partner with experienced people. If you, if you are not experienced yourself, it's really important that you partner with other experienced people and you have, every single person has a gift. Every single person has something that is advantageous to that group. You need to figure out what that is and you need to leverage it. <laughs> Speaking about leverage, going, going back to what we were talking about earlier, for me, my organizational skills, my understanding of multifamily coupled with a understanding of construction management and asset management. I feel like a lot of people don't focus on that in this space. And I think that's why I'm kind of sought after is because people focus on acquisitions, people focus on raising capital, but people don't focus on operations. And that is what I want to be known as. I've always wanted to be known as that. I want people to say, you know, any property that Ashley is running, I want to invest in because I know, first of all, that she wouldn't pick a property that she couldn't 100% execute. And two, I know she's good at what she does. So to me, you know, that's something I could leverage that made it very advantageous for me to get into this space. If you have access to people that you could raise capital, if you have bank connections, broker connections, if you're good at wholesaling uh, single family and you want to move over into the multifamily space and start sourcing properties. I mean, the great thing about multifamily is it's a team sport. So it's not just because you're good at one thing, then you're good at multifamily. You really need all components and you really need to rely on other people. So in order to your question, if you partner with those experienced people, you can be inexperienced in those other fields. Just be just really focused on one skill set and be a master at that. And you will be in multifamily in no time. I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the things that I think leads to analysis paralysis is exactly that. There's the fear because they're like, well, I don't know everything. And that's something you'll never be able to do. So once again, this idea that you cannot be successful alone and by teaming up with people, that you have confidence in that are experts in their field that gives you the confidence to move forward because then you know they may be seeing things that you're not seeing so they're looking out for your best interest which comes down to making sure you have the right partners you know all of those things now i want to talk about one other thing here before we get off real estate this is the market side so i'm a i'm a really firm believer as you are going to the right markets now i know on in my stuff what i'm looking for every how do, how are you finding markets? Like, where do you know to go? And what is your criteria? What are you trying to avoid? What are you looking for? Is there a set criteria? How do, how do you work that? In multifamily, there's like 20 plus parameters that we're looking at, but I'll tell you the ones that are most important to us. Where we are in the market cycle in terms of national economy is we're overdue for a recession. I think everyone can agree to this point. Whether or not that recession is in 2020, 2021, 2022, no one knows. And that's really not the point. Dave Van Horn, for any listeners who don't know Dave Van Horn, but Dave Van Horn is known as the note guy, but he really is the most you know, well-experienced investor that I know of in across multiple platforms. And one of the things that he is a huge proponent for is he is a proponent for your investments should do well in a down market. So that's his whole criteria for how he invests. And I think it's brilliant. So to that point, 
actually the number one criteria we look at is how a market fared during the last recession. So I have my own algorithm on how I calculate a stronger market, how it fared during the last recession. So I look at components like unemployment rate. I look at how long it took for the unemployment rate to spike versus how long it took for it to come back to stabilize rates. I look at things like that. And then I look at the economy in that local market compared to what it was, you know, 10 plus years ago in 2008. So I'm looking at factors like that. That's our number one criteria we look at. Number two criteria we look at, whether or not you believe in global warming or not, there's definitely changes in our environment that are occurring. My personal belief, so uh, my mother-in-law said this quote, and she is not involved in real estate at all, but I thought it was brilliant, is that you should never look to see who your buyer is when you're going to exit. You should look who your buyer's buyer is. And I think that is so on point, which is most of the time we look at a property and we say to ourselves, how are we going to exit? What's our buyer pool going to look like? Well, if we look two out instead, if our buyer, when they go to sell, has a lot of buyers, then we in turn are going to have a lot of buyers. So really focusing on two out as opposed to one level is more critical. And the reason this ties into the environment factor is I personally believe that there are going to be areas in our country two buyers out, that'll be uninsurable. And I think when that happens, the buyer pool is going to be limited because people, the insurance rates are going to skyrocket. I think coastal towns are going to be hit by this. And I think that properties are going to, might they may not even be ex- in existence because of the way that nature is today, unless there are some drastic changes. So to me, that's that's something that I look at heavily too, because for example, in multifamily, everyone talks about Florida market, the markets within Florida. I'm not looking at any markets within Florida. And that second reason is, you know, the second criteria. That's the reason I don't look in Florida, period. That's my personal belief. You know, others can argue with me about it and that's fine. That's why it's great because we all find value in different things. But those are two criterias. And then we look at you know normal things like job trends, unemployment, uh, medium household income, construction, how many permits are pulled, how many ex- existing constructions going on versus future businesses coming in and out of the market, the diversification of the economy, which ties very closely, by the way, in, into unemployment. If you want to see a correlation between two things, those are one and one. So there's just a lot of different factors we look at, but those are the main factors. That's awesome. I love too this idea that you have a investing philosophy. And you know, there's there's a quote for in the stock market, right? You know, that that bulls make money, bears make money, but pigs get slaughtered. And mm-hmm. when I look at that, what I really see is that generally in investing in the business world, those that have a investing philosophical view and they have a parameters in which they work and they say I believe in this that I believe there's this avenue that's going to be successful whether it and you can have two people that are at opposite ends of that they generally are both going to be successful in some weird way or another but the guys that don't and they're just like nope I'm going to take anything I just want extra work and I'm just going to go for it they actually are the ones that fail 
and I think the reason being is is the way that you look at your opportunities and the way that you are viewing your markets is very specific. And you're getting down into more than fundamentals. And that will benefit you always in the long run. And it's something that we look out. So at West, you know, a lot of our cities have been great for is that we, if you look in the inner West the and the Northwest particularly, is the long-term population trend rates that you see in areas like Boise, Idaho, and Idaho in general, Washington, Oregon, and some of these other places that are seeing just skyrocketing increase in population. People are migrating here like crazy, is that we have lots of water and we're not on fire all the time. And that is a huge boost to us. I have neighbors that came up and I'll ask them like, why did you move here? And they go, you know what? I was tired that I couldn't water my lawn and I was tired of worrying that my house was going to burn down all the time. So he goes, I looked at a map and say, where has a low homeless population, where has lots of water, but a good, good price of living. And as Boise, and we see this, we see these things happening and you need to have either an opinion or some foresight. You, there needs to be a thought process that's going on. And I find that people that don't think about it or don't care or say that it doesn't matter, they are avoiding risks that are real. Now, I'm not stating whether those are one way or another, but that thought process is what's important. I love that you're going through that. And I love how you're looking at those markets. I think that's incredibly important. I think also being that focused and targeted has also lent to our benefit because when I speak with brokers, they take me more seriously when my criteria is so strict. When you speak to brokers and you have this broad sweeping criteria that every, I mean, they get 10 calls a day probably for the same thing. I want a hundred units or more. I want a value add property, class B property. I mean, everyone is telling them that I am very specific on what I want and it grounded by my beliefs in, in specific markets. So when I say to them, yes, I want this, but let, let me go one step further and tell you the specific markets within your MSA that I'm interested in. I'm not interested in anything on the coast. I'm interested on, you know, the West side of the city, or I look for properties that, are from this vintage. And this is the reason why, because construction from this period to this period lent itself to these issues. And from this period forward, those issues aren't in existence because they changed the way they build. So that's the type of property I'm looking at. And whenever I say those specific details, first of all, they take me seriously. They know I'm a serious buyer. And two, my credibility for a new relationship goes up probably like 10 rungs above everyone else because they know that I am that tuned in on my market and they know that if they come across the property, that that's what I'm looking for. I'm also going to take the time and prioritize what they just sent me to review it and get back to them quickly. And that's what they need is, well, you and know, they know you're a buyer quickly. because if you know yes. what you want, I mean, think about it. Somebody going into a car lot and saying, Hey, I want, uh, I'm looking for a car. Well, what do you want? <laughs> well, you know, I want something that's decent. I don't want a very expensive, you know, I don't want to, and they're going to, okay. But you know, if you walk in and say, listen, I want a silver Toyota four wheel, five passenger bucket seats, here's the vending and here's the years. They look at it and say, yep, I got two of those. I'll take you to them right now. It's just, they know you're going to buy it. They know what you want. They can fulfill your need and they have confidence that you're going to execute. And in the real estate game, that is so important right now. I can't tell you how many times I hear from brokers that are like, this 
it's just crazy. Everybody's throwing stuff at a wall trying to see what sticks. And to them, they don't make money unless things sell. And so the more time they waste with people that aren't serious, that's money out of their pockets. Yep. And they hate it. They absolutely hate it. So if they know that you're a buyer and they know what you want, the moment they find it, you're the one call. They're not going to call yep. the guys that are like, well, show me a bunch of stuff and I'll tell you what I like. Well, no, I already know what somebody likes and what they want. So I'm just going to give it to them, make money, and then I'm going to move on. So it's a huge competitive brokers. advantage. Well, brokers will even test me too. When I'm starting a new relationship with a broker, they'll start, they'll say, well, can you underwrite this property for me and tell me what you think? So I get a clear understanding. It's probably not what you like. And I said, well, tell me about a little bit about the property over the phone, because just like you don't want me to waste your time. I don't want you to waste my time. So you tell me the property and I will tell you exactly what I like about it and exactly what is not going to fit our criteria. And once they start telling me about the property, I know enough about underwriting that when you tell me enough details on a property, I can tell you whether or not we're in the ballpark or not. Yes. So it's not even worth sending to underwriting for me. Yes. So that I think, you know, just being so laser focused. Yes. I could not agree more. I, I, I think that's awesome. Um, that creates a pipeline of deal flow that leads your way that is consistent, reliable, and executable. So, okay, one more thing here. You are involved in some really cool stuff, and I love listening to what you're doing and what you're passionate about. And we were talking a little bit about this before, and it made me start to think about some different things that were going on because my wife, she owns a school, and she was talking about some of the difficult things that she was having when dealing in boardrooms and dealing with opportunities that were coming her way. And, you know, I immediately thought of you and some of the stuff you're doing. And so I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore, but why don't you tell them about this group that you're a part of and what they're doing and why it's important to you? Cause I just think it's awesome. I'm a member of the investor community. Uh, this community is actually international now. It is in Europe, it's in the US and Canada. We have meetup locations throughout the US and Canada. Currently, we're hoping to expand into Europe in 2020. The meetup group is to provide support and education for women investors and to support women on their journey through financial freedom via real estate. That's the goal of the community. The wealth of knowledge in this group is unbelievable. Um, so I run a subgroup location in the suburbs of Philadelphia and I have, I would say on average three men attend every event. And there's one person who comes every single time. And after every meetup, he still to this day says it's the best content of any real estate meetup group that he attends. I think Without trying to be sexist about it, I think women are more forthcoming on sharing their knowledge. And I also think women do it in a way that is not posturing. I think a lot of times when you go to these real estate meetups, people want to spout information out like unit count and deals and monetary figures as if that is really showing who the person is and their knowledge. And really, I'm not impressed by those figures. I'm actually impressed when someone gives me actionable tips or information. So I mentioned Dave Van Horn before. Dave is someone that 
I don't know how many units he ha has ever had in his life. I know he's done a diverse asset class, uh, real estate, you know, history of his life. He's, he's done so many things, but I have yet to hang out with him without learning something just profound, incredible and life-changing for me. And those are the things that I look for in terms of the events I want to attend. So that's the way I've modeled this subgroup is everyone who presents it needs to be information that people can use. It's not an opportunity to grandstand about yourself. That's not what these meetups are for. And I think because of that, that is why they're growing. So I started this subgroup in January and we're at almost 450 members at this location. So 450 members, depending on where you are, may seem like a lot or may seem like a little. Keep in mind that I have two other subgroups in Investor, one that's only 15 minutes away and another one that's a half hour away. So to have 450 members with two competing groups of Investor subgroups is, is pretty profound, I think, personally, in less than a year. My goal is to get to 500 by the end of this year of members and next year to at least double it. Um, because I think there are a lot of women out there that are looking for opportunities like this. Investor also has a podcast series. I highly recommend listening to that. It features all different asset classes, women speaking in all different asset classes that they're invested in. But I highly encourage anyone to uh, you know, find out a local subgroup and join that subgroup. And if you are a man listening to this podcast, tell your spouse, your mother, your sister, your cousin, it doesn't matter. We all know women. And I think we're all better off if we help each other out. We're all part of the solution of helping people get to a more financially free life. I love it. Love it. Love it. I couldn't like it more. Thank you so much for coming on sharing your knowledge. Once again, I, I really do appreciate you. I appreciate how willing you are to help others to reach out. That is what makes the difference between successful people in business and real estate investing and the ones that aren't. I firmly believe it and I will always believe it. So thank you for doing that and you will have so much success coming to you. So everyone listening to this, how, how can they find you? How can they reach out, see what you're doing? Where do people go? You can go to badashinvestor.com. That website will link to my other companies. So you can just go to the one platform. It's the easiest to remember. I also have a Facebook page, Bad Ash Investor, and Instagram, Bad Ash Investor. So you can find me through any of those forums and I answer questions. I try to help out as many people as possible. So don't be afraid to send me a message and I'll help you as, as best as I can. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes and thank you again for coming on. Thank you again. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflowwiththenumber2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.